Where am I? The Voyager cast. Who are you? The second in command. What do you want? To cover every iteration of Star Trek. I will not watch Voyager, Enterprise, Picard, Lower Decks, Prodigy, or Discovery. My life is my own. By hook or by crook, you will. I am not a prisoner of your podcast whims. Alright, you want to do the prisoner? Alright then. The Village People, an exploration of the prison. With Paul Spataro, Dave Pascarella, Bill Robinson, and Andrew Lamb. Hello everybody and welcome to the Village Idiots or the Village People. I can never decide what we're called. You pick. Make make your take your pairs your money, take your choice. It's entirely to you. I'm not bothered either way. Uh, this uh, podcast looks at every single episode of Patrick McGowan's seminal 1960s mind screw, The Prisoner. Is the dog joining in? I love it when dogs join in. Our dogs, my dog's going to be joining in the whole episode. Excellent. I welcome our furry friends. They are always more than welcome to join us on the ship. You just heard Paul Spataro, who is this week's number two. Ah, uh, I want information. We have, a, we have a new number 12, different from last week's number 12, which is Dave Pascarella. I am general idiot number six, 12, like six, 12. I can't remember. <laughs> the professor is Dr. Bill Robinson. On today's program, as previously stated, a new number 12. A question is asked. And a mind is blown. Boom. And I'm Andrew Leyland. I'll be the professor's wife. I'm not fussing. <laughs> the General, which is today's episode of The Prisoner, was written by Joshua Adam, a pseudonym for Louis Griefer, and is actually based upon the two names of his two children, and directed by Peter Graham Scott. It originally aired on ITV. Friday, 3rd of November, 1967, and aired on CBS for the first time, Saturday, the 13th of July, 1968, a little mm. under a year later, scoring nearly 10 million viewers on its UK screen. And they kill for ratings like that nowadays. Wow. Watch the screen. We're going to cover it in 15 seconds flat. Watch TV was the sinister command. A command that must be obeyed. But what was the appalling secret behind this strange entertainment? Number six out of vision. Scan. Scan. In the village from which there is no escape, the prisoner finds himself locked in a desperate struggle against an evil, intangible force known as the General. How's the professor? Cooperating. I've given him some sedation. Has he been overdoing it too? Probably a bit excited. You know your husband, my dear, this speed learn. He's as enthusiastic as a child. Now he's sleeping like a babe. He's not to be disturbed. I wouldn't dream of it. Get out! Stop him! Can the prisoner destroy a tyrannical system before it destroys him? Find out in The Prisoner's next adventure on this channel. The synopsis is as follows. The prisoner is the only member of the village community to rebel there's a shock against the latest orders from number two. The orders are to attend sensational lecture classes, introducing a new kind of schooling which promises a university degree in three minutes. The prisoner has one ally in his stand, a young man who apparently sympathises with his point of view. But can he be trusted? I think they could end every single synopsis with that line, couldn't they? Yes. Can he be trusted? Number two this week is Colin Gordon, who has been in the show before. John Castle was number 12, and the butler made an appearance, which is always nice. And Betty McDowell was the professor's wife. They are essentially the main cast. Where was Colin Gordon? Which episode was Colin Gordon in prior to this? Colin, or was it prior to this? Because we're oh, in a wacky order now. Yes, yes. He, we actually, he may be around next week. Yes, he's in A, B and C, which was yes. filmed before this, which led him to getting the role of number two. But obviously we've not seen that yet. I think when we get to next week, we'll find it's a much better flip flop. Yes. 
So I'm saying that I have no idea what next week is because we're watching him in this wacky old reviews. Which are all over. Is that is that next week's episode, right? Okay. Yes. Right, because um, this is a completely different order to what's on my DVDs. Did. Oh, it, yeah, it is for everything everywhere else I go to, but I I think it works. Yes. All right. Well, before we crack on, who who did we come up with as a potential different number two for Colin Gordon? Who does number two work for? Who does number two work for? That's right, buddy. You show that turd who's boss. Well, I'll let you guys go, as always. I unless well, you know what? No, I'm going first this time because it's going to be obvious. I didn't even look for a modern day equivalent because to me this would be terry thomas all over it (laughs) (laughs) do you think see i think this is a bit more of a nerdy intelligent number two yes but i've seen there's some terry thomas bits to where i mean yes it's probably you know I, i there's just something about him his demeanor but i'm sorry sometimes terry thomas i saw a few shows or movies where he had some real menace, and I could see okay. him in this as a menacing role. Like in, you know, in, in, in Mad 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 World when he was menacing Milton Berle. Yeah. <laughs> what question did you ask it? Why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> see, see, the more you, the more you're saying this, the more you're selling me on it. I'll be honest with you. That's with funny because I picked Milton Berle for. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> in a dress oh, in a dress I figured that was perfect he was the professor's wife <laughs> alright that's so, all I got for okay. my number right, two well, or 1960's number right. two I selected David Niven mm. and for I, I can't even say for current number two because he's recently passed but for recent number two, I had William Hurt. Oh, my God. That's funny. I picked for for 1960s. I had I had a test. I actually have for both generations. For the 60s, I was torn between Roddy McDowell and Anthony Perkins. And for a modern one, I, you know, I felt... Being the same middleman functionary, but maybe not as wimpy, I picked uh, Adrian Pastoff, who was a Barbo. Oh, yeah, not Barbo. No, not We can have Adrian Barbo if you want. (laughs) Good, good, good. All excellent choices. Andy, Uh, what's your pick? Based upon the, the fact that he's very cool and a very collected customer and quite smart and icy. 1967, I went for David McCallum. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's a very well, interesting I think, choice. I think he would have made a good number two, but obviously he was overshooting the man from Uncle at the time this was filmed, so he wouldn't have been available. But modern, again, cool, slightly nerdy, but can be quite icy and menacing. I went for Colin Hanks. Huh. Who's that? I'm, I'm not sure who that is. Tom Hanks' son. He was in... Uh, the, 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 the oh, okay. Life. You know, I've seen him. Yes. That's... Yeah, he's, he's a little young, but good choice. Yeah, I thought, I thought he could pull this off. Because it's not number two's episode, this. So you need no. somebody who can bring something to it in a very small amount of time. And Colin Gordon's number two just comes across as very no-nonsense and straight down the road. He's not trying to be friends with him. He's not trying to con him. He's not trying to be genial or anything like that. He's just, nope, this is the job and I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of needed somebody who could do exactly the same in a very small amount of time. The, rela- the central relationship in this one is really weirdly, given last week's episode, between number six and number 12. Yeah, and number 12, I'm watching this and it's like, man, I know I've seen this guy before. I have seen him before, but he just did, so I did looked on the IMDb and I was like, I was like, that's where I've seen him before. He was a RoboCop three is like the 
the the he has white hair. It, he's yes. he looks totally different, but he looks the same. But he looks totally but different. different. Well, I, I was saying to Angela while I was watching it, I know him, but older. That's Obviously. what it was. I was like, "What? Where? Yeah. Where? Where?" It was like this guy looks so familiar to me, and I was like, "Oh, he was the the white haired." You like, find that a lot though in these that you know them, but you know them a lot older mm-hmm. because we know them from when we were growing up, which was like the eighties by that point. So yeah, some of us acting, were growing up in the seventies. Well, like some of us, if they were still acting, they were a good fifteen years older. Than they are in this so you're remembering them but you can't but not quite as they are in this mm-hmm. so i looked at an imdb and i spotted because i was the same with you i know him but older but he's just been in loads of brit stuff hasn't he he's been in loads of brit oh yeah TV. yeah i mean i think oh. the only really major american thing that i was robocop 3 and i was like oh yeah, yeah. but he's got so such I, a look to himself you know he, he reminded me of like a british version of jack lord yes <laughs> <laughs> he should have done like a Hawaii Five O type show. That would have been pretty cool. But yeah, so it, I couldn't actually say it's that guy from because when you look at it, he's like, oh yeah, he's been in Midsummer Murders and he's been in Holder City and he's been in every single British television show made since 1970. He could have been in Port Port Million Five O. Mm. I would have loved to have been a Port Marion Five O. Anyway. Anyway, overall, do you not think this is a bit of a disappointing episode of The Prisoner? Yeah. yeah it's Excellent. Good. I thought it was just me. It's not nope. an episode of The Prisoner, is it? No, it's an episode <laughs> of Star Trek. I, and I liked <laughs> I was, it when I, he, he killed Landrew better and M5 yeah, and Nomad. I was and literally going to say the same thing, Dave. This is an episode of Star Trek. It's got a central allegory that educating people to learn by rote is is a, a spurious way of educating people and there's a line in it that you know you can't teach people at set times because that's not how the human brain works and then ultimately he's got to con the computer and i'm watching this going this isn't an episode of the prisoner this is an episode of star trek or twilight zone or any show that dealt with allegorical science fiction it's not yeah. really an episode of the prisoner not only and, i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you Andy. no no go. not only is it not really feeling like the prisoner, but unlike the other episodes, this one to me felt much, much more dated. Uh, the score kind of was not very good. It, it just felt, you know, like a little too, uh, over the top. You know what it was with the score? It was, they were using motifs they've used before and since. Do you not think the mix was wrong? Or was this just my DVD? This, this sounded like a modern TV show. I don't know I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it was the mix movie. or what, but it, it just pulled me out of it. Like I really didn't care yeah. for the score, and it was calling it attention use, to itself. They'd use those like yes, yeah. They'd use the the little da, 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 bits mm-hmm. too much, and they seemed very ill placed. And the, the the whole premise, I you know, I get the allegory that you're talking about, and the, and the, the message, uh, you know, that that learning that way isn't isn't really how you should learn anyway, because it's you're not really learning from it, you're just memorizing. Uh, and and they're also self satisfied with it too, which I actually kind of like that aspect of it. When they give the right answer, they act like they actually did something, which they yeah. didn't. Uh, but anyway, uh, it just didn't feel as immersive as the as the show normally does it, it i just i never felt like i you know i always felt i was always very conscious of the fact that i was watching a 1960s tv show which a lot you know i usually try to just lose myself in the show and the story and everything and i don't have that feeling but in this instance i was never able to really immerse myself into it uh and yeah i think william chatner killed the computer better but there was also lots of sneaking around and going undercover and stuff and that kind of smelled a little bit of the Avengers more than the prisoner. And mm. there was it, the editing seemed quite choppy as well. Like suddenly he'd be in the top hat. He was in the, the, the funeral gear and then it cut. And the next time we see him, he's in the doctor's white smock. And you're like, well, when's he got changed? Where was he find the yeah. clothes? Cause we don't see him knock people out, do we? To get the clothing. Now you can assume maybe number 12's got it for him. But what has he done? Just stashed it around where he can change into it? 
I mean, there was there was moments that I enjoyed that I get a chuckle out, but overall, it, it like if I was it it felt like skipping a stone on a pond. Every time you hit the pond, I had an interest, but in general, <laughs> I was just skipping along this episode, going yeah yeah okay all right. I uh, yeah. I felt it telegraphed what was coming. You know, I had very little surprises surprises as to what was coming. You know what I mean? I I knew where they were going with this uh, speed learning. I knew that he was going to kill the. Com- I knew it was a computer. I knew he was going to kill it, and I knew he was going to type in why. So I kind of. But. To defend it a little, is that because we've seen so much of this in our lifetimes? You're right. Whereas if we were in the 1960s, ooh, oh. I mean, granted, we would have probably watched an episode of Star Trek where this happened. (laughs) Right, well, in 1967, Star Trek hadn't heard here yet. Yeah, but in the States, this would have... um, But when it heard in America in 1968, yeah, it will have been a No, it was 66, wasn't it? Star Trek was, yeah, the prisoner yeah. wasn't. Right, so this would have been two years so later. We, we I mean, haven't seen... It would have still been yeah, novel. we haven't seen Star Trek yet. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're, you're completely right. I, for, I forgot we're watching this 50 years, 60 years later. I know, <laughs> but even, even with that caveat, though, Dave, everything else has felt somewhat fresh and interesting and engaging, despite yeah. the fact it's 50 years old. I think Paul's absolutely on the money when he says you are aware that this is a 60s TV show. In the editing and the music and all the the wacky surrealism, it felt like forced surrealism, where they I, keep zooming into the black and white eyeball and and all of that. And the prisoners has got around that. The surrealism is a part of the show, whereas here it kind of felt a bit shoehorned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Such an intricate security system. I have to have a little hand come out and take my token. Did you have one of those when you were a kid? I loved that bank when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I quite like that. I thought that was quite funny. There's one genuinely shocking bit, though, in the middle where he takes the golf club to the guy's head. And you're like, holy shit. And it just turns out to be a dummy. I thought that was quite cool. Oh, yeah. Have, Have you ever gone to a wax museum, though? Because that's that's effectively what this guy was. He was like a wax museum dummy. And, you know, yes, they look like the people they're supposed to look like, but they don't look like they're living beings when you're there. I don't see this thing laying in bed and looking real. That everybody's so shocked when he comes over with the. uh, the Well, nobody else thought it was real, did they? That's the thing. It was purely for. But you're supposed to. And it's just I mean, it, it felt like. It didn't feel real to me. Like, I just, you know, it was like, I don't know. It, it, it's, I don't know. There's something about it. And, and if, if, wouldn't, wouldn't they have like tried to stop him anyway before they let him clobber it in the head? Nah, they got about so. six of those heads. Yeah. They've got loads of spurs. All right. Now, I've seen this. This is not one of my most rewatched episodes in the series you know but there's something that bugs me about the whole why is the professor and maybe you guys can answer is he running there's things about his character that just don't make sense to me okay we first see him he's running from the he's running down the beach he's running from the crowd and it's like the way that that scene is cut and then, you know, he number six finds a tape recorder and it's, you know, he listens to it later and, and, and he's saying, you know, ah, oh, it's a farce and this and that. But then later, did they, did they, why did they need the professor? Couldn't anybody have written these notes? Couldn't anybody have just written, typed on a typewriter? Obviously anybody can because number six types in Y and blows the computer's mind. So, uh, it, it just seems like I don't understand why he kept going along with this if in, in the beginning he was trying to run away from it out on the beach and then later he's sick in bed. I mean, did they did they drug him? Did they brainwash him? It just seems like there's stuff left out in here. I, I couldn't figure out why he was still going along with this if in the beginning of this he's so anti-general. I was just like, it doesn't... I, I Makes sense. 
Yes, it just doesn't make sense. Well, why did they need a figurehead anyway? True. Why couldn't number two be delivering the classes? Was the will of Landro. Yeah. I can't. My Gilligan's Island tie-in for this week is when they were running <laughs> down the beach, I kept thinking the episode where the mosquitoes arrive on the islands instead of the <laughs> beetles and the women are all chasing them around the island. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 there's, a, there's a couple of interesting quotes in the Andrew Pixley book that I've got from uh, either, depending upon you talk to, Patrick McGoon either loved this episode or hated it. So <laughs> there's no middle ground there for the people that are quoted. But his other one, he said, um, the exploration of learning too much stuff is closing up your mind. If you learn stuff, do you know every subject under the sun just by dates and numbers? That's closing you up for being able to unlearn what you've learned at a later date. And that quote stuck with me interestingly in terms of the stuff that we're interested in. So like all this people just seem to want to refer to now with any of the other things like Star Wars and stuff is the canon. But if you've memorized all the dates and numbers and Kirk's serial number and all of that stuff, is that closing you off to enjoying the new stuff? Is the canon of it all getting in your way of being able to just enjoy new episodes of the show is he right about that when he says by learning all this rote you're clo- you're actually closing your mind off well i think that's demonstrated with uh i can't remember which character does this I, it might be number six but you know they begin their whole diatribe when they say when was the war of such and such oh, blah, blah, blah 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 and it's just blah facts just re- regurgitated back out but what the what yeah. the other character asks is what was the war of that? And then that's a question that makes you think and come to a conclusion based on the information you have. And that's not what what is being given here. This is just a data dump into a person's mind of just facts and figures with no real understanding of of the actual causes or, or outcomes. I mean, yes, they did touch on it lightly, but I still think, you know, that this would be a wonderful thing in today's society, wouldn't it, guys? We would all love to. Oh, wait, we already have that. It's called television. Never mind. Well, I, I, again, you do wonder, is he making commentary on, mm-hmm. on TV and people just sitting in front of TV and taking in what's said at face value and not doing their own research? Well, that's got me think. thinking about, like, you know, when I sit there at night and watch Jeopardy. And I and I'll be able to answer a lot of the questions, and, and it makes my my wife think I'm so smart. Yeah. And now now I'm thinking, boy, you know, but all that shows is that I have some facts memorized. It doesn't, yeah. It doesn't show any ability to you know to take those facts and apply them in any way, and and do something intelligent because, with them. Because sometimes the clues, it's not always you know it's the fact, it's it's how they word the clue sometimes is how I get the answer because I'm like, well, the only possible answer could be this because of the way they worded the question. You know, because my wife, you know, I don't get all the questions, but I'm just, you know, and, and I know if I was up there, I would be, ah, 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 ah. Oh, yeah, that's, that's why when she tells me I should Straight from my couch, show, I say, and I don't no. have to word it as a question. I can just go, blah, blah, blah. And you can guess at ones that you're really not sure of that if you were on the stage you wouldn't because you'd be afraid it's wrong. Yeah, right, but, but that's that's because you're doing it the same way I am, sitting in your kitchen watching yeah. it on TV, eating dinner as opposed to in front yeah. of an audience. It's 100 percent different. No, see question. now we all carry the general in our hand. It's called our phone. Yeah, it's called Google. Yeah. Again, it's another episode. Go. And and Google and, and sure you could trust everything that you find on the internet. Everything on Google is trustworthy, yes. But the, the, that's where it goes back to, and I think we discussed this somewhere else, some other time. When when we were growing up, there was always a kid who had all the stats memorized of all the baseball players. You know, mm-hmm. today it's nobody knows that you you'd go on your phone. Yeah, you don't have to. Right. That knowledge is being held somewhere else, and it now frees your mind for better things like TikTok videos and. I've criticized that with the GPS things, because oh, yeah. I find I find that people, uh, you know, have stopped feeling the need to like learn the areas anymore, and and I think that's a 
definite negative. You know, it, you know, you go in someplace 15 minutes away and you have to, you know, GPS it. It's like, you know, learn, a, learn where you live. <laughs> listen, I had to drive a, a kid somewhere. He was like 18 years old. He got in the car. He looked in, you know, the pocket in the door. He goes, you have actual maps? <laughs> Of course, I have abs- actual maps. <laughs> well, those might be worth money someday. Well, yeah, yeah, we pull out of the driveway sometimes, and Sarah, uh, my my daughter Sarah, w- will be like, "All right, which way do I go?" I'm like, "We're going to the store." You know, you go left. Well, I I gotta put it in my phone. Like, what did, 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 did I mean? She's not so bad now, but like at first, I was like, "What?" You got to get a, what if you didn't have your phone? Well, I guess I wouldn't go anywhere. I'm like, oh. See, I, I, I can't think of it because I quite like having the phone on because it tells you where the speed cameras are. Well, yeah, I, but, but you still know the general look. Like, I know to go left or right out of my driveway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, she packs out. She's like, which way do I go? I'm like, are you kidding me? Just, you know, Move. Like where's it's Tampa? Like I'm like, you don't know gonna... the general direction where Tampa is? You could just start heading in that general Well, I don't you know, I don't want to go the wrong way. I'm like, just all right, go left, go right, you know. And just think they're gonna they're, they're gonna decide where we wind up at some point. Mm-hmm. They're gonna have to use a GPS to figure it out. <laughs> uh, Speaking of why his way of getting rid of the computer by asking why is interesting because they keep asking him why. Yes, yes. That was a nice little, you know, why? Why did you resign? Why? Why? And then the way uh, uh, Gordon says why, like, in different ways, you know, kind of just reflects how that question can be so open-ended as, you know, like, once he says it, he's kind of like, why? Like, why did you do this? And then, why? You know, there's, yeah. Yeah, it's all in the inflection, isn't it? Uh-huh. And then, and then that brings me to Goodfellas when Henry Hill is saying, why did you do that? Why? See, I kept, yelling, I'm sorry. <laughs> I kept wondering if the general knew how to play tech, tic-tac-toe. <laughs> I kept thinking the episode should be called General Malaise. That would be a whopper. I kept thinking of uh, two things. One, uh, for there was like a commercial for General Tires. Sooner or later, you'll own generals. Someday you'll own. Someday you'll own. Sooner or later, you'll own generals. Remember your dad Someday you'll own, someday you'll own, sooner or later you'll own generals, sooner or later you'll own generals. And then the, uh, I was of the insurance company. Yes, yes, that, uh, Shaq, Shaq, oh, you got to get your insurance from the general. Very persuasive. That's why I was so good at selling low-cost car insurance. White trash rates from an army guy. Here is a penguin. Don't know why. The general car insurance. It'll worry whoever you hit. Not once did I think of a army general during this episode. Oddly. No, I didn't. I did not think of that either. I was just kind of like this. This I will say. This was one of the first, I think, uh, prisoner episodes that I was like, is this over yet? <laughs> oh yeah, a, I didn't remember anything about this. Which is raw because we've watched quite a lot of these over and over and over again. So the fact there's an episode that I didn't remember at all was interesting. So it's probably because you didn't enjoy it the first time. No, no, that's true, and I will concede that point. But it was therefore like watching a new episode. Mm. 
so I quite enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, I'm not going to say it was a good one or one of my favourites or anything, but there was an enjoyability level. Oh yes, yes, but but it was still having kind of one like... that I didn't know. How great would it be to recut this and have the doors open up and George C. Scott standing there, and he shoots yeah. at number twelve, <laughs> <laughs> and, and just walks off and goes, "You failed again, number six. We've not really talked about number twelve. What was in it for number twelve? Was he really just sympathetic to Six's goals? I would say yes. Uh, because in the end, like if he didn't really care about if 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 he was just in on the you know if he was in with number two then I don't think he would have tried to have saved the professor's life, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Because number 12 gets uh, electrocuted. That's one of the first things they taught us in the Navy when somebody's mm-hmm. getting electrocuted. You don't grab them with your hands. You take a piece of wood or non-conductive material and you push them off of what is electrocuting them so that you don't die as well. <laughs> Which is exactly what happened to number 12. Yes, because he was a bit dense. So on the one hand, then he's learned that there are other people in the village like himself. But I also like that he was dressed like Six as well. Mm-hmm. Only his little blazer had the blue piping rather than the white. But also as well, this is one of the few times he does score a clean victory. Yes, yes, that is, you know, this is like. He's still stuck there, but he won out in the end. In this particular instance, he won. This number yes. two has been carted away forever, and speed <coughs> learning is no longer a thing. Is he being carted away? No. Well, he'll show up next episode, but it's just his twin yeah. brother. Yeah. Uh, Timothy Thomas. Yes. <laughs> I say, I'm back again. <laughs> But overall, you know, I I kind of lost it with this one. I think it was a bit, like I say, it was too much The Avengers and too much Star Trek and not enough The Prisoner. And I'm not watching The Prisoner for Star Trek and The Avengers. I'll watch The Avengers or Star Trek for that. The moments where it was too much like The Avengers was where the two guards are standing outside the room and one walks the other way and then you hear, right? Yeah. and, and then the other guard turns and looks, and there's a white glove motioning him around the corner. Oh, oh, oh let me go see what that is. <laughs> Blam. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh. But you've also, this isn't the most Avengers-like the show will become. There is an episode later on that is very much like the Avengers. Deliberately, it has to be said. Whereas this oh. one felt undeliberately like the avengers is that is that the girl who was death yes okay yeah yep well overall it was it was okay i enjoyed watching it was it was hey a bad episode of the prisoner is still well not bad but a meh episode of the prisoner is still better than some of the things i've seen yeah, I still enjoyed it. I still enjoyed watching it. I still enjoyed Patrick McGowan, mm-hmm. who I still think is fantastic in this. I just didn't think this one was perhaps as good an episode as the other ones we've watched so far. It'll be interesting to see if this one gets our lowest rating, because mm. all of the others I remember. I didn't remember this one at all going into it. And there's even a couple like 007 type quips in it, which don't really suit number six. Mm. So you can tell once again that this was a script that was written by somebody who'd only seen Arrival. And perhaps thought it was going to be more of a standard Danger Man type spy show than it ended up being. Right. Well, you guys didn't like the whole... uh... See, I found the music interesting when they did the whole zoom in. I found the music, maybe not the whole scene, but the the like, well, maybe because it was different. I don't remember hearing it 
and any of the other episodes to where the the quote unquote learning was taking place. That yeah, but that's what you're expecting to hear me. I think there was too much use of. Oh yeah, that that gets way overused in the whole yeah. Where it didn't it didn't they didn't need to be music though. And there were certain places where I felt that the music was underscoring a scene and the music was too loud. And you needed, you, I wanted to hear what they were saying. I wanted to hear mm-hmm. the dialogue. Now, that's more of a modern problem. And I originally thought that was me complaining because I was getting older. But apparently that is a modern problem. It's why kids have subtitles on. It's because the mix is too loud. So they have the subtitles on so they can read along with it. So I was a bit what's it by that. I thought that was a bit off-putting. It's not that I don't like the score to this. I like that it's deliberately um, furry taily, but I felt in this one they were overusing it in places. Did you did you catch the bust of the previous of one of the previous? Yeah, Leo McGurn's bust was was there. Yeah, <laughs> from Shams uh, Big Fan. But also the thing to remember there as well. This was filmed and they'd already filmed Decree Absolute. Is that right? The what? Decree Absolute was the original title for the penultimate episode, and then oh. shelved the penultimate episode to be the penultimate episode. Huh. Oh, I didn't so know. They already filmed that one at that. I can't remember. I can't remember the filming yeah. order. But yeah, the, the bust from the Chimes of Big Ben is on there. And this is another one that's very, very low on location filming. Yeah. All the stuff's on the standing sets or filmed somewhere else. There's a couple of Port, Newport Marion shots of the professor trying to escape on the beach that was just filmed by second unit. The actual cast never went there. So we get to see the cave set again. Mm. Which is nice. Uh, Neither the professor or his wife have a number. No, they don't. That's true. Yeah. Was her name Marianne originally? Or Ginger. (laughs) Ah, the professor. Professor and Marianne. Oh, Professor and Marianne. <laughs> There's a part of me that loves that this is just Gilligan's Island. I've yeah, ruined like, this whole program. <laughs> yeah, because now all, all, all I can think is when they swapped everybody's minds, but then they spoke <laughs> with the, when 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 they spoke, you know, like Marianne's voice was coming out of, uh, you know, Mr. Howell or, or, you know, Ginger's voice was coming out of, uh, which makes no sense by just changing somebody's mind and you would change their voice. But whatever. That's what happened in that episode, right? Didn't they change their voices? Okay, yeah. Yes, Yes, they did. And the soundtrack was better than this one. I've still never seen Gilligan's Island. It's got to be on archive, though, right? You, you, you should, you should look one. We, 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 we should find one for you, Andy. We should do, we should do one episode at the end of the series and make a comparison. You should pick an episode of Gilligan's Island that is most like The Prisoner. Yes. Oh my God! If you, if you guys are complaining about reused musical cues, Jesus Christ! So much Gilligan's (laughs) Island. I I I can yeah yep it's quality it's quality well, you you know what I just discovered recently watching some of those uh, downloads the music on Sheriff Lobo was completely just the opening song played at different speeds throughout yeah, the a lot of shows do that either faster or slower. Well, you know, when we start comparing The Prisoner to Gilligan's Island, we've fallen down. 1960s masterpieces. <laughs> so do we have anything more? <laughs> Seems like uh, we've hit a dead end. Other than the, the, the you know, the modern day co- connotations of mind, mind controlling people that, you know, may or may not be happening as we speak. So, no, I guess we're good. I'm just thinking, you know, when you give me the Gilligan's Island comparison, and this really doesn't compare to Gilligan's Island so much, but it's that style of television. Uh, when they show them all running on a beach, they're all bunched up so much yeah. that it just feels silly that they're running. Like, you could see it on actually on an episode of, like, Monty Python's Flying Circus or something. It's the Beatles! And they all run But, they, you know, they, people don't run in a group that way. Unless there's, you know, a marathon and there's, you know, 
thousands of them. <laughs> Unless they're being told to, to stay in frame. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They did on Benny Hill. I remember almost yeah, every episode. See, it, it, it almost had a comic element the way they were running. Yeah, and, we could just speed uh, that up and play yakety sax a little bit. <laughs> and and Patrick McGowan does run funny, by the way. He doesn't look athletic when he runs. When he does the other things on the show that call for him to be athletic, you know, when he's fighting or something, he looks natural. But when he's running, he does not look at all athletic. But there's a lot of people like that, though, when you're watching them, isn't there? If you'd watch, uh, we watched True Lies again last week. Arnold Schwarzenegger can't run worth a damn because he's just too big. So whenever I'm going to have to run, notice that when I next time I see that movie. Any, watch it, because it's not the first film I spotted. I think I spotted it in Commando. Roger Moore can't run worth a damn either. <laughs> so you'll notice he didn't want to run. Yeah, well, he didn't want to. That's very true. Sir Michelle Gellar can't run in Buffy. She just looked, because you can always tell when stunt runner comes on. <laughs> Lee Majors, however, was an exceptional runner. It was. So, you know, you can berate him for not being the best actor in the world as much as you want, but name me another actor that could run as well as he could. What? What do you want the $6 million man? You want somebody who can run. Especially if you're playing that running music. There's a lot of actors you can. McGowan always looks like he's flailing a bit, doesn't he, when he's running? And he, he looks like he doesn't stretch, like he like his limbs stay too close. But his legs and his arms don't move enough. Yeah, it's like Phoebe running in Friends. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Patrick McGoon is the Jerry Lewis of spy running. <laughs> so it's one of my things that we're really going off the reservation now. But one of my favorite things about Starsky and Hutch is Paul Michael Glazer could really run. He could sprint like like Tom Cruise. David Soul couldn't run worth a damn. So they'd always have to cut <laughs> to show that Soul... They, they must have had to stop filming and suddenly David Soul's right behind him. Where in the previous shot, he's like five miles away. <laughs> <laughs> and while, well, while I've me. made it clear I'm not a Tom Cruise fan, that is something actually that he does do well because they always seem to work it into his movies that they make him run. That he has to run. <laughs> I don't mind Tom Cruise. You ever seen Oblivion and Edge of Tomorrow? They're great films, both of them. You know, that's, Oblivion. I haven't seen Edge of Tomorrow. I, I actually have that? those on my to-watch list based upon your recommendation, and they've been on my to-watch list for a few years now. <laughs> so you're never going to watch them? I, I still... Like, if the situation presents itself, I will, but I, I still haven't found myself ever sitting down and saying, I'm going to watch it. You know, my, my wife's going to make me watch Maverick at some point, so I think when she does that, maybe I'll make it a double feature. Maverick's great. What, which Maverick? Maverick, the TV show? I or? think they're talking about the Top Gun sequel. Yeah, the Top Gun Oh, sequel. oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking James Gardner. My mistake. You know, Ma that Maverick, I'll watch without a problem. I was going to say, what's wrong with Maverick? Now I understand. All right, so we ready to rate? Yeah. I give it three coconuts for all the reasons <laughs> I said previously. Okay, yeah, I found this one to be a little bit more tedious to get through because uh in general no no pun intended uh this show requires that i pay closer attention than modern tv does and in this instance i didn't feel like that extra attention i was giving it was rewarded i thought we were getting kind of a you know a not special episode so it was not that it was it was not that I walked away and felt like, oh, my God, I'm never having that 45 minutes back. It was still fine to watch. It just was not as rewarding as what I'm used to from the show. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to slightly increase from Dave. I'm going to give it three and a half stars. Three and a half cracked heads. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Uh, I yeah, this this to me was an average episode so i'm gonna have to go right right with a straight up uh three three uh three electrocutions for this episode i'm gonna give it four which i think is the lowest i've given anything yet 
Only because, A, it's the prisoner. I do love the prisoner. Um, <laughs> if this was just an allegorical episode of any other science fiction show, I think we'd be much kinder to it. Mm. So if you look at it through the lens of it's just that, it's a star, it's Doctor Who. Doctor Who's fought computers in around this time in the War Games, I think. It was a Patrick Trownwell. So, or an episode of Star Trek, like we've discussed. If you're watching it as an episode of an allegorical science fiction TV show made in the late 1960s, I think it holds up a lot better than it does as an episode of The Prisoner. So I'm going to give it four. Again, because I, I did enjoy watching it, and I always enjoy Patrick McGowan. It's not as good as the others, but like I say, it's going to be interesting to see if this is the lowest rated episode by the time we get to the end. Mm. Okay, so that's what we all thought. But what did Blaine think? I was just trying to regurgitate facts. What right. did, what did, what did Blaine think? <laughs> Oh, God. That's awful. So <laughs> I'm never going to be able to watch The Prisoner again next time <laughs> that, that that cue comes on. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're just going to hear that. You'll just hear. I'm going to hear. What does what does Blaine think? Oh. You ruined my show. Blaine says. Hi, guys. Ah, the general. Unfortunately, there is no sign of a Civil War-era train engine getting stolen or of Buster Keaton. Sigh. As a teacher, my first reaction in the early seconds was that I'd love to know this technique. But then I realized that three minutes is about double the average attention span of my high school students. Well, seriously, they were right about needing to push information into the neocortex. Also, although the guy learning while sleeping was intended as a joke, we now understand that some of the brain's functions while sleeping are to index the information that has been recently moved to the neocortex so that the hippocampus can retrieve it when necessary. Learning without the ability to retrieve is pointless, so proper sleep is vital to a student. This is also why information gained in a late-night cramming session is lost so quickly afterwards. I highly recommend the Learning How to Learn course available on Coursera.org for more information on this. If you're a teacher, I would also recommend the Uncommon Sense Teaching series, based on a book of the same name. The episode has an effective commentary on bad teaching. Learning by rote, parroting back exact quotes with no deep understanding, is easy to assess, but ultimately meaningless. Teachers who put too much emphasis on regurgitation are doing their students a disservice, which is why it's important to get them to phrase things in their own words. Well, their own arrangement of existing words in the common language. Responses like yakafubog, chumblespuzz, just don't fly. Students should be taught how to think and not what to think. As for the episode itself, it's nice to see a collaborator who can actually be taken at face value. There are so few of those. We don't have the filmmaking innovation that we've seen in the last two episodes, but it still entertains. Next up, A, B, and C, which is episode three on iTunes. But looking okay. at the list of other episodes, the only other one I have no memory of is It's Your Funeral. Um, I have no so memory of that either. Well, Me neither. Your memories have not been created yet. Yeah. Um, that sounds exciting. It's Your Funeral. Let's see. Do not forsake me, my darling. I think... I remember that one. Oh my god, is Gary Cooper in that one? Hey, it's close. Oh no, that's yeah. living in harmony, isn't it? Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the only one I have no memory of, is it's your funeral. All the others now I remember quite quite vividly. Mm-hmm. Well, but which one that Andy has a memory of are we going to talk about next time? Next time on an all-new episode, an old friend comes back <laughs> as number two and asks number six about his ABCs. Are the easiest one, two, three? Maybe. <laughs> so the Jackson okay. 5 will be on this episode. The Jackson 5 will be on the next episode of The Prisoner as the show was struggling for ratings. So they sandwiched in a pop band. <laughs> That's right, yes. And they will be numbers two through seven. To steal information from the prisoner, they manipulate his mind. 
So this is your wonder drug? Yes. His mind is now yours. What do you want from it? Why he resigned? I believe that he was going to sell out. I want to know what he had to sell and to whom he was going to sell it. I'm for B. She even looks like a spy. You're a very good one from a long line of spies. Tell him. He'll kill me. I don't believe in you. He'll kill me. Watch this channel for the next exciting adventure of The Prisoner. No one will ever see me. I will. I want to know who I'm selling out to. <laughs> now, before I forget it, because in case I don't remember for next episode, uh, at one point A&E was selling um, sets for The Prisoner, and I only got the first two volumes and it was, they didn't do one, two, and three. They did A, B, C. Yeah, so, clever. Yeah, so I, I've got two sets. I have A and B. I do not have C. It was on DVD. So you have A and B, but not C, and it was on DVD. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, it. I wasn't trying to be. I do, yeah, what? It's like Schoolhouse Rock. WTF? <laughs> what? <Yeah>. TTFN. <laughs> TMI. Fab. Right. About on, on those notes, goodbye, everybody. <laughs> goodbye. Oh, on that note, never mind. Arrivederci. Ciao, Who are you? The village people. Who are the supervisor, Paul Spataro? The chess master, Dave Pascarella. Rover. Dr. Bill Robinson and Andrew Leyland as the butler. The village people investigating the prisoner.